you don't answer the table tonight. Don't you need everybody to move? If the ref gets in your way, you hear them? We ain't apologizing for nothing today. They'll take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? They'll take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy Questions Podcast. I am your host, Brett Pelashadi, with me now and forever. My boys, Kyle Settle. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, boys? What up, man? How's it going? Right. So it's the maiden voyage. Feeling good about it. Ready to dive into this draft content. I know Kyle's got a bunch of lukewarm takes he wants to throw out, so that's going to be fun. You used to it. Day one. We're going to listen to Devin tell us that Dwayne Eskridge is the next, uh, I don't know, the next DK Metcalf, I guess. He's actually, first fun fact tidbit, Dwayne Eskridge older than DK Metcalf. So he can't be the next DK Metcalf. Ooh, I actually don't even know that yet either. I'm learning the fly here. All right, so what are we doing? We're going to start with some winners and losers from the draft. Whether it be veterans or rookies, we're gonna dive in. Get a little, a few guys per person. So, Kyle, you want to start us off with a winner? Sure. Start on the bright side. The winner and the obvious one. The topic of a lot of discussion after free agency, after the uh, franchise tags were divvy out, and that's Allen Robinson. When Robinson was franchise tagged by Chicago this offseason, everyone hated it. So here we go, another round. It's Mitch Trubisky, it's Nick Foles, it's Andy Dalton, whoever it's going to be. It's an upgrade from Blake Bortles, right? Well, now it definitely is, or at least you can be optimistic that it is. You, you can at least look at the unknown and say, hey, there's a chance that Justin Fields, who was drafted in the first round by Chicago, is an upgrade over all these mediocre and less than quarterbacks that Robinson's ever had. Now, obviously, there's a chance that He's just not very good. He fell to the middle of the first round for a reason. There was clearly concerns. You had multiple QB needy teams just look over him and decide to go defense or wherever else they decided to do. But you have the upside of the unknown, and Allen Robinson may finally, for the first time in his career, be catching passes from a competent quarterback. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's no secret here that I'm a Justin Fields lover from U2. Um, that was going to be my dynasty pick until I traded up. Uh, I don't. I don't get the notion with all the negative stuff on fields. I mean, I kind of understand it. Ohio State quarterbacks aren't successful. I hate that narrative. It's a different guy. Ryan Day is a different coach. He only makes one read. Well, he really doesn't. If you actually watch some tape, he definitely goes over some progressions. You can see he's got a killer deep ball. He's got killer accuracy. Zach Wilson flexed that awesome across the body throw, and then d- d- Justin Fields did the same thing a few, a few weeks later. I almost said Deshaun Watson. <laughs> um, I like Fields. I think it's going to be great. I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't trust Matt Nagy, and I don't trust the Bears mm-hmm. as an organization. That's the only downfall for it. I hope he succeeds because I love Fields, but I don't know. We'll see if Matt Nagy can figure his life out for once. Yeah, I completely yeah, I was, agree with that. You guys always knew that I was like a big Zach Wilson guy in real football, but Justin Fields was always my QB2 in fantasy, and I don't think this changes at all. If anything, I think – it's a better landing spot than if you were to go uh, somewhere deeper like New England where you're not sure if they're going to run that uh, you know heavy run game style offense. But I think in uh, in Chicago, he's got the weapons. The offense line's kind of trash, but I think that he makes up for it a lot with his legs, and you're going to see that with the, with the fantasy production it gives you. Um, not many bigger winners than the Chicago Bears in general, and uh, you know this is a great spot for him. 
Devin, who's your winner? Uh, mine's a little, mine's a little weird. Uh, my winner is Miles Gaskin. Uh, if you recall last year for fantasy and real football, uh, you know the Dolphins had Jordan Howard, they had Matt Breida. It's like okay, it's kind of a mixed bag of running backs there, and Gaskin kind of emerged as the better of the two. And they even had Patrick Laird run some run some passes, or sorry, run the ball too. And Salvin Ahmed. They had a bunch of things there, and Miles Gaston just emerged to be the better one. The Dolphins didn't go running back at all in the draft. They picked up Malcolm Brown this past offseason. But it's pretty much Gaskin's role to lose. I think he's the most talented out of the, the three of Brown, Ahmed, and Laird there. So I think the opportunity is there for him as a mid as a mid-round flyer if he progresses well during training camp. Hey, it's the eighth it's the eighth round. You have three running backs. You want a fourth versus some back? Well, maybe Gaskin could be a sneaky guy for you later on. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a famous or a popular pick in the fantasy community because everyone projected a running back to go to Miami this offseason. And obviously it didn't happen in free agency. It didn't happen in the draft. The, the rumor is that apparently when, uh, when Denver traded up and they made their pick and they stole the running back allegedly – right out in front of Miami that they actually got a call from another AFC East GM thanking them for moving up and stealing the running back from him. I, I do think that while he's a winner right now, this is the perfect time to sell if you're a dynasty owner. There's a good chance that there's a lot of – there's still a bunch of veteran running backs out there on free agency waiting to sign, and obviously not every team gets – what they want in the draft, and they're going to be looking to plug that hole with an Adrian Peterson or a Todd Gurley in free agency. And also you sort of have the unknown. I've always been a fan of Miles Gaskin since he came out a few years ago, but watching him last year, I sold him in Dynasty because I saw that, yeah, he was taking everything he was given that was given to him, but he's really not someone special. He looks like a jag out there, just a guy to me. And if another running back comes into that backfield, or if they start just promoting the talent from in-house and start the eating into those carries that he got last year, I don't think the upside's really there with him. I mean, you guys pretty much hit all the uh, all the bases on Miles Gaskin. I will mention that he they drafted a seventh round running back, Jared Dokes. I don't know if that's actually uh, a guy they're meaning to use in the backfield much at all. He might just be a special teamer, but there is another body there. Um, once again, nothing I would really be too concerned about, but figure I'd bring it up. All right, so my winner. I wanted to go a little bit off base here. So I know a lot of people are saying Mike Davis, which is an obvious winner in Atlanta. But I'm going to say Saquon Barkley. And you may be thinking, well, they just brought two pass catchers in. How would he be a winner? Well, the biggest complaint I've heard with from Saquon owners, other than you know him not being healthy recently, is his lack of efficiency. You know, he'll have a 40-yard run. Then that'll be followed by four two-yard runs, a one-yard loss, you know, a catch for negative one yard. Adrian Peterson S. 25 yards. Yeah, similar to the way Adrian Peterson was back then. And I think adding more talent around him, um, you know, way better talent than what he had last year. He's got one of the best uh, possession jump ball receivers in Kenny Galladay. Kadarius Tony's a, a short separator who's going to catch a lot of short and intermediate uh, route concepts. Not much of a route runner yet, but he'll get there. And I think that's going to open up the box for Saquon to really be more efficient. And he could be a five, six yard a carry on a given week, you know, when they're playing low competition. So I think he is a winner in the sense that if you are deciding between, you know, Saquon or one of those other top running backs in the draft, that could be something you could look at as a tiebreaker for yourself. And um, I also think that they invest in the offensive line a little bit. I got to double check that, but I think they did. 
and uh, that's always going to help. So, so Saquon's always a winner anytime he's on the field, and if he's able to put up a, a 16, 17 game season, it's it's going to take some adjustment getting used to that 17th game. But if he can go out there and play 16 or 17 games, he's going to be a winner. Um, this is going to be crunch time, not for Saquon Barkley, we know who he is, not for all these pass catchers, but for Daniel Jones when you look at that offense. And I won't dive too deep in it because we're talking about winners and losers, but there's no excuses at this point. Daniel Jones has more weapons than he knows what to do with. And while they're not all elite, they're not all that Saquon level, everyone is above average. He's got five or six different pass catchers that are well above league average, or at least at league average. So. If you see another losing season out of New York when you have all the other teams in the division seeming to be on their way up as well, next season they may be calling for Daniel Jones' head. I saw a stat the other day that uh, he has more turnovers and more fumbles than games started. And it's something that's not talked about a ton. Everyone knows he's fumble prone, but while Jameis Winston sort of bears the brunt of the joke when it comes to turnovers, Daniel Jones has been just as bad, but the difference is Daniel Jones isn't out here throwing for 5,000 yards like Jameis was, and it still wasn't enough for him to get a starting job. So no excuses. The offensive line's getting older. I know they had some turnover because they're a very young offensive line, and they're expecting a lot of improvement from within. But if it doesn't happen this year and the Giants find themselves around the top 10 again, maybe the, maybe the beginning of the end for DJ. Yeah, pretty much agree. Spot on. It's, uh, Saquon's going to depend a little more on Daniel Jones. I think you're right, though, with – Adding Galladay and your draft with Darius Tony, who I like a lot too. With an already Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram, if he's ever healthy. Uh, Sterling Shepard, again, another healthy guy. Um, it's all there for the Giants to succeed and Barkley's healthy to have a fantastic season. I've been talking to some redraft friends, and I'm really scared of Saquon. Um, I, he's a guy that, for me, for right now, has fallen to middle end of the first. But uh, in a 12, in a 12-er. But if you can pair him with something good, that's great. Uh, but, yeah, I think that you're right, though, in assessment-wise. He's definitely a winner because their offense should definitely be scary and less of a focal point on him. I think he's going to have more touchdown upside on a given week, more touchdown opportunities. Um, just having a better overall roster on offense should allow you to be close to the uh, end zone or red zone more frequently. And they didn't really bring anybody that could be like a, a meaningful spell back for him. I mean, I think they have Devontae Booker. And in the sixth round, they drafted a guy named Gary Brightwell. Which sounds wow, like you sound confident with that name. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, don't worry about Gary Brightwell. I think Saquon's going to be all right. Hey, Devin, so you said Saquon you put in the middle or end of the first. Would that be single quarterback, I'm assuming, or in super flex? Yeah, this, yeah it's just standard redraft. Just standard redraft. So who would you put up? So. The top, there's probably a consensus top five, maybe top six, depending on how high you are on Jonathan Taylor. But the running backs that are going Christian McCaffrey, Saquon, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, and then maybe Jonathan Taylor's in that group. Where do you rank Saquon on those six running backs? Again, that's McCaffrey, Barkley, Cook, Henry, Kamara, and then Jonathan Taylor. So where do you rank Saquon among those I six? Would, I would take all of them, and I'll throw one at you. I'd take Nick Chubb before I take Saquon Barkley. Really? So you've got Saquon is RB7. Yeah. But wow. It's, when it, it gets to kind of a, um, uh, what the word I'm looking, what I'm looking for. Um, it's kind of what you, yeah, it's kind of what, what you want. Like, I love, I'm a big Delvin Cook guy, or you're a big CMC guy, or you're a big this. If you really like Barkley and his brand of football and you really believe in his turnaround, then I don't care if you pick Saquon before you pick Jonathan Taylor before you pick Nick Chubb before you pick CMC like I it wouldn't bother me but that's just where I would put him 
I would trust those guys before Nick. All in the same tier, though? I mean, sorry. Yeah, they'd all be like tier one, tier one Arby's. That's good. They'd be tier two right after that, probably those seven or eight. I, I do want to throw that out there because I think that's something that is overused so much in the fantasy industry is you may have Saquon Barkley as RB7. I may have him as RB2, but there's not a five-person difference between them, even though there's a five-person difference between them. Is We both think he's going to be great. We both think he's still a tier one running back. Yeah, 100%. All right, so we're going to move on to our loser section. We'll go back to Kyle for his veteran draft loser. And that's Melvin Gordon. That one was pretty easy. The The Denver Broncos decide to move up in the first round, or the second round, rather, and uh, take their guy, Javante Williams, and it, there's no question that he's going to be stealing carries, if not taking over the backfield completely from Melvin, Melvin Gordon. I've never been a massive Melvin Gordon fan. He was a first-round pick, what, five, six years ago now, and he's never really had that amazing season that everyone I think thought was coming from. He's had a couple good seasons here or there. He's never really had an awful season, but he, he he's, he's better than just a guy for sure. I don't want to throw him in that level, but at this point of his career, I don't know how much better he is above replacement where Javante Williams, this guy's been nothing but hype for the past three months. Anyone watching the, uh, the draft film for the rookies or doing any sort of draft prep whatsoever knows that he belonged in the big three with, uh, with ETN and uh, Harris, but the fact that they moved up to get ahead of Miami, who I think everyone knows that's who they were going to be taking to grab Devontae Williams, I mean, they have some conviction on this guy. You don't trade up, and uh, J.J. Zacharyson actually just put out a good uh, pod talking about the success that teams have when they do trade up for a running back, is those rookie running backs see the field quicker and more often. So Javante, everyone already had him in that tier. The fact that they traded up to get ahead of Miami and get him, to me, means he's going to be on the field early and often. And at this stage in Melvin Gordon's career, I don't know that he has it in him to fight him off anymore. I think he's going into a contract here also. So Javante is going to get on the field early, and this probably looks like the end of the feature back season for Melvin Gordon to me. Yeah, um, it's kind of weird because I, I swear the Broncos just came out and said that Gordon's going to be their bell cow. And the draft happens and they trade up for Javante Williams. Maybe they didn't expect Javante to be there. So they kind of said that when they were picking. But to your point, Melvin Gordon's only had one 1,000-yard season. Now, in 2016, he was three yards short of 1,000 yards. Okay. And 2017, he was 11, 1,105 yards. He's always been a guy that's going to get you almost 10 touchdowns every year besides his rookie year. He's only missed a handful of games his whole career. He's played 12 or more in every single game of his career. But to be to what he was in college, obviously I'm from Wisconsin. I've watched Melvin Gordon literally light it up for the Badgers all the time. Uh, he destroyed Nebraska in that one game, set the single-season record. Hey, uh, everyone in Wisconsin destroys Nebraska, all right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Gordon just hasn't been the super, superstar that everyone thought he would be. So I uh, – Going to be 28 this season when it starts, or already is 28, 28 with the split carry rule last year. He almost had 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns, but mm -hmm. with a younger, healthier guy, maybe Gordon's going to float around 600-some yards. Maybe he'll stick with the double to the touchdowns for you, but for a Tier 2 running back that I usually put in the Tier 2 ranking-wise, he's going to be slipping pretty far, I think, in some drafts, redraft and dynasty. No, yeah, I totally agree with you guys. I mean, if you look at their draft from an NFL perspective, it looks like they smashed it out of the park. Javante Williams is going to come in, and he's going to take a lot of work. And I honestly think he's a fantastic running back. I don't know if he does anything right now 
that's worse than Melvin Gordon. He can catch the ball. He runs with power. I think he fits their scheme fairly well. And my loser is also on the Broncos. We'll get to that shortly. But I don't think my loser supersedes Melvin Gordon's loss from the addition of Javante Williams. And, and what you just said is is a good point. Is they're such similar style running backs. This is not a James Robinson, Travis Etienne situation where you bring in a guy and it's okay. We're, we're bringing him in because he can do things this other guy can't. They're so similar in the way that they play football. They both profile as early down backs. It's not like you can just relegate, relegate Javante Williams to say, okay, he's going to come in, he's going to be our third down back, and we'll, we'll generally start easing him into that early down role, or vice versa with Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's never been the third down back on a team. He's always been the early down guy or a three down guy, but the fact that they're so similar, I think, is, is the death sentence for Melvin Gordon. All right, moving on to Devin. Who's your big loser? Uh, mine is another kind of a late mid-round receiver, or not another one, but a mid-round receiver in Jamison Crowder. Uh, coming off an injured year, I'm the Jets, a team who's disastrous, but you kind of think he had some flashes with Sam Darnold, where he had a few games where he just popped off great fantasy weeks, but he's never been that dude on the Jets, and they just drafted Eli Moore, and they signed Corey Davis in the offseason, and you had Denzel Mims last year. So that's three receivers who are all pretty talented. Josh Jackson's on the roster. He's pretty irrelevant. But they have Keelan Cole, also signing for agency, who I think is pretty solid. There's just a bunch of guys on there that are all better than, not even better, but they're all guys that, are, that could beat Jamison Crowder out. He's 27, coming off injury. I think he's a high-cut candidate, too. This guy might not even be on a roster come training camp. He's just got guys who are younger than him. And maybe better, I don't know about Corey Davis, but maybe already better than him right away. Why pay the veteran that the salary he's going to have when you can just save the money or take a small L on the salary? Cut him and move on. And you roll Zach Wilson with Eli Moore, your slot guy, because he's a primary slot receiver. Eli Moore's there. Your slot job, your slot job's gone. Um, Denzel Mims and Corey Davis are two outside guys. Where's Carter going to fit in this roster? Because Keelan Cole's also a slot guy. There's just nowhere for this guy to go, so why even have him on your team? This guy might not be on the Jets. Maybe uh, maybe another team picks him up that could use a receiver. The, Pat, the Pats could kind of use a receiver after losing Julian Edelman, so maybe that'll help, but that's not really going to help his value either because, as we know, Cam Newton's not the best pocket guy. How the hell is Jamison Crowder only 27, 28 years old? This guy's been in the league for at least 15, 20 years. I know. I, swear. I had to double-check that. I was like, there's no way. <laughs> That is ridiculous. But Devin, the cut possibility is something I hadn't thought about until I uh, took a look at. The, he's an 11 mil cap hit, which you know he signed that contract with uh, New York back in 2019 when they were a, a trash team, and they probably by all accounts still are, but they had all the extra cap room. So spend all the money you want. He's an $11 million cap hit, and only a million goes against the cap if they decide to cut him. So he might be a cap candidate, uh, a cap casualty, rather, I should say, if uh, they decide to move on. Because you're right, Elijah Moore. That, that's how he profiles. He profiles as a slot receiver. He's going to come in. He's going to take Jameson's crop, Jameson Crowder's job, which, it, although it's the last year of his deal and maybe you don't want to cut him, next year, obviously, this is Elijah Moore's role. But is it going to happen this year? I think there's a pretty good shot. Yeah, I can totally see a path to his irrelevance sooner rather than later. I mean, when you bring in Eli Moore, one of my favorite receivers in this draft, you instantly have to look at him as competition, if not the complete takeover of the role for – Jameson Crowder. They spent high draft capital on him early second round. They spent money bringing Corey Davison, as you already outlined. I think they're looking to completely turn over the roster they inherited from the Gase experiment and whoever was their GM at that time. Before, um, 
before Joe Douglas came in. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. They also brought in Michael Carter, Javante Williams' running mate, and he's a primarily a pass catcher out of the backfield. I don't know if he's going to get a lot of between-the-tackles role. So uh, you can look to him to take uh, targets away from Crowder as well. So overall, not a good look for Crowder. Definitely think we're all down on that. All right, guys. So my loser from the draft is all of the Broncos' pass catchers. And uh, I know there's a lot of hype around Noah Fan, Derry Judy, second year. K.J. Hamlin from Penn State got drafted early there last year. Um, but I think between trading up to draft Javante Williams, that might – you know, signal a philosophical change in their offense. They want to be a little bit more run heavy. They also drafted a few offensive linemen, I believe, in the draft as well. But the big key indicator of why the pass catchers are losers is what they didn't do in the draft. Mm-hmm. They had Justin Fields on the board for them, just staring them in the face as, hey, I'm your next franchise quarterback. And they said, now nah, we're going to take an overrated cornerback. Yes, I said Patrick Sertan <laughs> is overrated. AC Horn. Hell yeah. Honestly, man, it's uh, you're looking at another year of Drew Locke, and nobody wants to hear that. Another year of Drew Locke, I mean, he had flashes last year, and I think that's what they're clinging to, um, and they're loading up everything around him. So this might be more like a New York Giants situation than we like to think. They have a good roster, especially on offense and defense, actually, but with Drew Locke, their ceiling is capped. I don't think that anybody who knows, you know, can hold their weight in, in a football conversation can look at Drew Locke and say, we can win with him. I think his best days are Kirk Cousins. His worst days, man, you don't you don't want to see that guy with an NFL uniform. So all those Broncos pass catchers are looking for a similar, if not a worse year than they had last year. And they added um, Seth Williams, who say what you will about him, but he might take red zone work away from some of those other pass catchers. So all around bad day for those pass catchers. The only pass catcher that I'll defend for Denver is Cortland Sutton. And it has nothing to do with how the draft went. It has nothing to do with how free agency went. It's 100% on people are just overlooking him. And that's not to say that he's going to come out here and he's going to be Julio Jones this year. And everyone slept on the fact that he's fallen to the seventh, eighth round now in drafts, which is just criminal. It's the fact that he was on fire, even with Drew Locke as his quarterback, as they ended 2019. Obviously, the injury plays a role in 2020. He got all of one game in before he got hurt. But he's an 1,100-yard receiver with six touchdowns in 2019, and that's with a quarterback carousel. So who's to say he can't do it again with a leading member of that carousel? Cortland Sutton is being vastly undervalued. As far as the rest of those pass catchers, I don't have much faith in any of them. I'll, I'll completely agree with you. There's all the draft capital you want when it comes to Judy and DeFant, but... You're right. When it, when it comes to Drew Locke as your quarterback, your upside is cat. And I think Kirk, Kirk Cousins is the perfect comp if you're going to compare any other quarterback in the league. Devin, we got that. I'm a big Drew Locke fan. I, I wish he was better, and he's not. <laughs> what, what a conviction. Um, I like Drew Locke a lot. I like his moxie, his swagger. I, I love everything about him. I love him coming out of college, and the dude just really isn't great. They get Teddy Bridgewater, which is the biggest placeholder quarterback. He's like the new Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're the new placeholder. For oh, don't don't insult Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like it's that. not an insult to Fitzpatrick. It's Fitzpatrick's goes places is a placeholder for the time being. For sure, for sure. They're, they're just Bridgewater. You're gonna win seven games, eight games, and that's kind of kind of about it. He'll you, he'll keep you floating. He'll throw 26 touchdowns, 10 picks, 3,000 yards. Drew Locke on his best days, like you said, he's pretty much a Kirk Cousins. And on his bad days, he's a really bad Mark Sanchez and. 
Is there a really good Mark Sanchez? Do you compare that against? There really isn't any good Mark Sanchez. I, I think you're right about Corbin Sutton, though. Tier 2 receiver, slides too far in drafts. No offense to me, still a top 5 tight end because the dude's uber talented. But then you're kind of depending on the, the ball getting to him uh, and him getting it. Like, he'll, he'll probably have weeks for his three catches for 30 yards and no touchdown mm-hmm. because they're going to be losing – you know, twenty-one to three because their offense can't put a damn drive together, and oh, he sucked just force feeding the ball to probably Cole Sutton. I like Jerry Judy a lot, but in a redraft, I probably don't touch Judy or take him super late. Um, it's not a talent thing for some of those guys. It's just we don't trust your quarterback situation, and for most of the Broncos' pass catchers, we do not trust your situation. Yeah. All right. Good work, guys. We're gonna move into our mock. You're mocking me, aren't you? Fantasy Flexecution Mock Draft. All right, we're going to move into our mock. So, with the number one pick in our Dynasty Rookie Super Flex Mock, Kyle, you're on the clock. All right, this one's easy. The uh, way we're doing the mock today is we're just going to rotate the three of us. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. We're not keeping these teams, so it'll just be, all right, I'll pick a team. This is where I value them. At 101, this is easy going with the Super Flex. And uh, even, honestly, you could use some consideration if we're not talking super flex. I don't think I take him unless it's a two QB league. But Trevor Lawrence is the easy one on one. Doesn't require a lot of conversation, but I will say this: uh, while Lawrence is the one on one and he's absolutely deserving of it, I I am starting to get more and more skeptical just watching the way that the Jacksonville Jaguars decide to build their team. Now, this is obviously an expansion team from 20, 30 years ago, but they don't exactly have a track record of winning. I don't think they're a very well-run organization. We're only a couple years removed from players literally giving up mid-game on this team. And granted, yes, there's there's a new uh, structure in place as far as the front office and obviously Urban Meyer and the coach, but I don't know that I can put all my faith in the Jacksonville Jaguars to maximize Trevor Lawrence. And Lawrence, obviously, everyone knows he's the best uh, thrower of the football to come out, at least since Andrew Luck, and a lot of people put him even higher than them, myself included. I think he's amazing. But is Jacksonville going to do everything they need to get the most out of him? Either way, though, the upside is there. It's undeniable. This this man is a freak. He has been for four years, and everyone knows he's going to be, at a minimum, a successful NFL quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. He's a stud. It's a no-brainer pick. And super flex, whether you have good quarterbacks or not, this is your guy. Don't overthink it. Take Trevor Lawrence at the one on one and move on and be happy about it. Trevor Lawrence, no matter what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mine's pretty simple. Um, especially basing off our my dice team and our lead together is Justin Fields. Uh, I think he's the second best quarterback, and I think he's a lot closer to Trevor Lawrence than a lot of other people <laughs> like to think. Uh, I'm not going to say much about it because everyone knows I love the guy. Um, he's great, and uh, if he. Hits all the wickets that I think he can hit. This guy should be one of the top three best quarterbacks in the NFL for the next 15 years, I hope. So we're only a couple days removed from the draft, so this is all very preliminary. But earlier today, I actually did move Justin Fields down from number two to number three in my Superflex rankings, and I brought Trey Lance above him. And it's not so much of what I think Justin Fields is. It's just the coaches. You talked about it earlier, Devin. We were talking about our losers of the offseason. Do I want to put trust in Matt Nagy to develop a quarterback 
who knows if this is the last year that there's the Maggie Pace structure in Chicago, but it hasn't been a good one. It hasn't been a successful one. The years of Nagy developing quarterbacks with Andy Reid seem like so long ago because he has done nothing but fail since he's gone to Chicago. They haven't even had a 4,000-yard passer in the history of the franchise, and I will continue to rub that in the face of Bears fans as long as it's a fact. But the only reason I moved downfield is not because I don't think he's good. He's got the best upside of any quarterback in this class, and that might include Trevor Lawrence. It's the fact that there is a chance that when this Nagy-Pace relationship goes down in flames, that Fields goes down with them. I don't think it's a high chance, but I think it's more of a chance than Trey Lance has of going down of the ship with Kyle Shanahan. I don't think I think that relationship is perfectly sustainable for the future. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good pick. You're betting on the talent, and I think if anybody, if you're going to bet on anybody, Justin Fields' talent is is one that's totally worth the bet. Um, but as Kyle mentioned, you are taking that bet with risk. I mean. Who knows if he doesn't have three offense coordinators over the next three years? You know, I mean, that's the best thing for disaster for a, a rookie quarterback, especially one that has concerns about processing speed and uh, running a more pro-style system in the NFL. So I like to pick, but there is risk. I'm up on the clock with third overall, and I think this is a no-brainer. I'm taking Trey Lance. Um, I thought Trey Lance had the highest upside of any quarterback, whether it be fantasy or real football. And I think that is why you saw the Niners trade up from 12 to 3 to go get him because they saw what a cap ceiling looks like for the past few years with Jimmy Garoppolo. And as of right now, nobody can put a cap on Trey Lance's ceiling. He has tremendous athleticism. He has a very accurate arm in the short and intermediate. He really needs to work on his deep ball accuracy. But in terms of fantasy, that'll play. And that'll play very well in, in San Francisco's offense. Um, they run a lot of play action. They rely on the run game. They have good targets, good yak guys. So if he wants to to stay fairly short and intermediate in his rookie year while he's still learning a, a complex offense, he's still going to have a ton of guys getting yards for him after the catch. So I think depending on when they actually insert him in the lineup, I think you're looking at a potential league winner in Superflex in the second half of the year this year. So. Not only is it a good pick for later on, but I think you have a ton of upside at the end of the year this year, depending on how long it takes him to develop or how long it takes them to give up on Jimmy Garoppolo and insert Trey Lance the future in San Francisco. Yeah, Lance and Shanahan's a perfect marriage. Everyone saw it as soon as – if it wasn't for all the speculation leading up to the pick, this is something people would have been talking about for weeks or months before the draft. The, the quote that came out of uh, – I forget whether it was uh, John Lynch or, or uh, Kyle Shanahan that actually said it. They said – that Trey Lance was the smartest quarterback in the draft. Now, that's high praise for a, a draft class that had the amount of talent that you saw a quarterback to include Mac Jones, who that's what he's supposed to be uh, cashing his checks on is how smart he is and how pro ready he is to run an offense. But Shanahan or Lynch, whoever it was in San Francisco said, Hey, this is the smartest guy right here is who we traded up for in number three in Trey Lance. And e even if he's just okay, Shanahan's going to get the most out of him. That offense is too user friendly for him not to succeed. All right, back to you, Kyle, with the fourth pick. Uh, for me, being super flex, this one's pretty simple for me. I did have to have a little bit of a deliberation on whether I would pivot away from quarterback, but to me, the, the choice is still there. It's Zach Wilson out of New York. I, I think, obviously, it, it goes without being said that in super flex, quarterback is king, but I think Zach Wilson is getting a little bit slept on. I don't know if some people have some buyer's remorse over what happened with the whole Sam Darnold thing, but... Zach Wilson is not going to play football for Adam Gase, okay? He's he's going under the Shanahan system. He's going to be under uh, Mike LaFleur. 
the brother of Matt LaFleur. So he's going to be running the same Shanahan offense that everyone's been running. And we just got done talking about how well Trey Lance is going to fit into it. So New York had their choice of Trey Lance, and they decided that Zach Wilson was their guy. So I think there's a reason to that, and I think he's going slept on right now. I think he has just as much upside as the other three guys that just went before him. Yeah, I can I can see that. I have, uh, what's his name, Zach Wilson, uh, ranked fifth out of all the players, so can't really argue the pick. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, when it comes to super flex, you know, take your shot on quarterbacks. I don't think that's ever really a bad idea, um, especially ones that are drafted this highly in the NFL draft. So, you know, good on you for making that pick, looking at team building-wise. I'm just worried about his bust potential being pretty high because what he got away with in college is not going to work right off the bat in the NFL. He's got a, he's got a pretty steep curve coming from BYU to – to the NFL, where he had one of the best offensive lines in college football last year. Um, we know the struggles New Yorkers had with their offensive line. I mean, they traded up to get Elijah Barrett Tucker, great player, but he's a guard. I don't know how much impact he's really going to have um, right off the bat. And, like, we mentioned his weapons earlier, but they're still young. I mean, Denzel Mims, are we sure he's that good? Elijah right. Moore, I love him. I think he's going to be great. But people bust. He could not be so good. And then you have nothing at tight end. You have a... We're just burning down Chris Herndon now? We're going to pretend like he doesn't exist? I don't think his supporting cast is all that great. Um, Take that and just the history of New York mismanaging rosters and uh, coaching staffs. I'm not sure that his talent can really shine through. And I think he's the highest upside passer in the draft. And I think Trey Lance is the highest upside rusher. You might be thinking, well, what about Trevor Lawrence? Well, he's the best at all of these things put together. But Dustin, or what is his name? Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, the highest upside passer in the draft, has a steep curve on a not-so-great organization with not-so-great weapons and a big question mark in terms of how he's going to assimilate to the NFL. So I like him as a player. A lot of risk in this pick. And I wouldn't take him at four, but I see why you would. So I got the next pick, five. There's three things you can pretty much, three picks you got here. And if you took any of the three at my spot, wouldn't argue with you. I will take, this is kind of, kind of a risk, but I'm gonna, I'll take Najee Harris. Steelers have no O-line. Big Ben's 40. He's not good anymore. But if you're redrafting, or sorry, if you're in a rookie draft, Najee Harris is such an awesome kid, an awesome guy. If you've never listened to any of his interviews, Listen to him talk. The dude's awesome. The dude's a workhorse. He wants to be good. He's he's great. I think he's got all the potential to be another Derrick Henry in the league. Not that he runs like Derrick Henry. Just a successful ass. Steady Eddie. Running back. Steady running back. It's just the situation he's coming into is a little sketch because their team, on paper, oh, you got Deontay Johnson. You got Trace Claypool. You got Juju Smith. Okay, well, your O-line stinks. I, who's going to mm-hmm. block for this guy? You needed a center, and you didn't get one. Your team, your offense lineman are retiring. You let, you let go of Villanueva. Alejandro Villanueva. Jeez. Mouthful. Uh, it's a risky pick, sort of, but I just I like the talent a lot. But if you went any of the other two guys, that Brett's going to pick one and Kyle's going to pick the other, I'm not, I'm not going to argue him. So Tomlin did address uh, head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin. He did address that. They did not address O-line early in the draft. I don't know if they addressed it at all. If they did, it was nothing noteworthy. But addressed that they didn't address that they addressed it. <laughs>
Let's say it like that. Let me try again. He addressed the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers did not address offensive line in the draft. Does that make sense? Did I get it right that time? Yeah. So they, he put it out there and he talked about uh, a thing that I think a lot of people forget about is the fact that this is not Madden, all right? They are not locked into their overalls, and that carries on year to year. Internal improvement does happen with the same players, okay? And if they're confident that they can get it out of the same players, then who are we to say any different? I think a lot of people think the only way you can improve your team is from bringing in outside sources, and that's not the case. Players do get better. They do improve over time. But back to Devin's pick, I think of the three guys that we're talking about here in regards to this pick, Najee Harris is probably the highest floor. There's not a lot of chance that Najee Harris comes out and he just completely lays an egg at the NFL level. He's talented enough to do it, and he's walking into a bell, uh, bell cow role. So of all the guys on the board, it, you talked about it with team building back when you were talking about when you would take Saquon in the first round. If you're looking for that floor in your rookie draft, Najee Harris is absolutely your pick here. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Najee Harris. I think he's going to be very good in the league. I am worried about the offensive line. But I'm, I'm more worried about their situation in general really deteriorating around him. I mean, who's going to play quarterback for them next year? Um, their, off, their other offensive linemen that they're bringing back are getting older. Um, they have no cap room to really bring anybody else in. Um, Najee Harris himself, I don't know if he's much of a creator. I think he can make the first guy miss or, or run him over. But I don't know if he's much of a creator on his own. And in that system, I mean, they were spoiled with – Le'Veon Bell, who was totally a yards-created machine, but then when they had James Conner, they still had this fantastic offensive line. Now you're missing a creator at the running back position, and you're also missing a tier one offensive line. I think he's going to overcome that because he is good. He's a very good running back, and they're going to hitch their wagon to him. I mean, they draft him in the first round when, when they have all these needs, and there's no way they don't understand needs that they have on the roster. So they made a decision to draft him anyway. They're going to give him the volume. Volume's king of fantasy. I like the pick. All right. So I'm up at, was it six now? One six. So yep. my pick is going to be Travis Etienne. So I have Jamar Chase ranked above Travis Etienne. So As I'm you should. Thinking, why would you take Travis Etienne? I think this is a team-building move. Travis Etienne, young running back, drafted in the first round. But the athletic measurables that you look for, the production that you look for, big-time program, I think it's a no-brainer because when you get a running back draft in the first round, you're almost guaranteed volume. And I know the argument against it is James Robinson, and Kyle's chomping at the bit. He's ready to dive into this. <laughs> so let me get my piece out first. James Robinson is undrafted free agent. He was picked up by the previous regime that had – you know, just got fired. Um, you bring in a college coach that's used to having five-star recruits at running back every year since he's been a college coach coming to the NFL, and he knows he has a mold in mind, a guy he wants to run the ball for him with his new shiny quarterback. So I think it's almost a guarantee that he's going to overcome James Robinson early in the season. You might not see it week one or week two, but I think in short order, Travis Etienne will be getting the line share of the carries and catches out of the backfield over James Robinson. And I think his skill level, even without a, a certified bell cow role, is enough to become a high-end RB2 by the end of the year. Okay. Now, Jamar Chase, the guy I was deciding against, I think he is the closest thing to a surefire 
stud wide receiver one in the NFL. I don't know how Cincinnati is going to utilize him, and it kind of scares me. But I would take him if I had a bunch of stud running backs on my team. But I think if you're picking this highly in the rookie draft, you probably don't have a bunch of stud running backs on your team unless you traded for this pick. So I think this is more of a philosophical pick to take young running backs early in dynasty rookie drafts. All right, let me hop on for the record and disagree with just about everything you said. So, <laughs> like we're talking about, if you're picking at this area in the draft, where are we at? We're at 1-6. Okay, yeah. so, so you're a fringe playoff contender, but you're not quite there yet. All right, so why would you not take the wide receiver in Jamar Chase that's a surefire hit and it's going to be on your roster twice as long? That's what I'll say with that. And that's just a philosophical difference on what do you want, running back or receiver. But if we're just talking about the players, Travis Etienne, I think because of his pass catching and the fact that he does have the high draft capital, he's walking into a bad team that's going to be throwing a lot. He's probably going to go out there and catch 70 passes his rookie year. Like He has that ceiling. It's, it's something that could definitely happen. But I don't see how you sleep on Jamar Chase and the kind of upside that you have from a generational receiver. This is one of the best receiving classes that we've seen out of college football, and he's the top. He's the cream of the crop. Why do you not want yeah, Jamar Chase? I mean, we had three wide receivers. Who's the last receiver prospect that's been better than Jamar Chase? This year. I don't know if it's generational. but Who's the last receiver that was a better prospect than Jamar Chase? CeeDee Lamb was comparable. Very close. CeeDee Lamb wasn't even the first receiver in his class. One generation. Henry Ruggs was the best receiver last year. Ask John Gruden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good old John No, Gruden but I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. That dude has no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> you mean you shouldn't draft three defensive backs in every single draft? I guess that's on Mayock, though. But either way. I totally understand your concerns with the pick. Trust me, I do. And like I said, I have Jamar Chase ranked above Travis Etienne. If we're just talking about straight up, who is the better player? But I think when you need running backs to harder to find outside of the rookie draft. Gosh, this and ain't it. When you have an opportunity, so. I, this ain't it. If you if you need running back help, I'm drafting Jamar Chase and I'm trading him for an RB one. Who would you rather have, DeAndre Swift or Jamar Chase right now? Just off the top of the dome, Jamar Chase. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's fair. I'd much rather have DeAndre Swift than Travis Etienne. The, the guy who looks like he's going to be in that bell cow role on top of the pass catching work. And I think you could easily, if you're in that dire need for a running back, take Jamar Chase, flipping for DeAndre Swift. That you bring up DeAndre Swift because he's like 88th percentile comparable to Travis Eason. Yeah, they are very close, I guess. That is only random player to say that's what, Evan, what do you think about that pick? Uh, you know, it wasn't one of the big three I was mentioning when I was picking, so that threw me for a loop, but you've loved Travis Etienne since he was a freshman in college. I and... fucking slurp his dick off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You absolutely love this guy. So, I mean, your, your philosophy makes sense to me for a guy who has Delvin Cook only on his dynasty team of the leagues that we're in. You know, if I was picking or you were picking... And the best player available was Jamar Chase, but Travis Etienne was still there. I would, I would go against what Kyle said, and I would pick Travis Etienne because I am in agreement with your philosophy. Where this receiver draft, this receiver class is so damn deep. Um, if I don't pick a running back, if I don't pick a receiver here, well, when it comes back to me, I know it's just us three, but thinking it's a little long term. When it comes back to you, you got Eli Moore. You got maybe Rashad Bateman because people are afraid of him. You got Rondell Moore. You got Tooney. I like all those guys, too. Now, none of them are Jamar Chase. They're not Jalen Waddle. 
They're not, not even Devontae Smith. I get it. But I'm, I like the ETN pick because, to me, the fall-off from ETN is huge. I mean, I like I like Williams as well on Denver, but it falls off a lot for me. So I understand the ETN pick because it's probably what I would do in your position in a normal 12-man rookie draft. And then I would just pick a receiver the next next go round. All right, so we're all in agreement. You fucked up, Shotty. Let's move on. <laughs> all right, it's easy. We already did half the analysis. It's Jamar Chase, and it's not close. The fact that I'm getting him at 170, even in a super flex, is criminal. He's the most generational talent in this draft, other than maybe Kyle Pitts or Trevor Lawrence. You could put either one of them in there. But kid's a freak. All right, he's the unanimous 1-1 in one of the best wide receiver classes that we've seen so far. I say 1-1, meaning he's the receiver one of all the receivers in this great class. And everyone agrees and everyone's known for over a year now that it's a great class. He's going to Cincinnati. He's going to catch passes from Joe Burrow. As soon as they get that O-line patched up, which may, to be fair, never happen, but as soon as they get that O-line patched up, this is a deadly offense. Uh, with Chase there, Higgins on the outside, and then Joe Mixon in the backfield, they've got a three-headed monster there. You don't know where it's coming from, but Chase has the ability to be the best out of all of them. The fact that I'm getting them at 1-7 is a steal. It's not close, but... Like we talked about, sometimes that philosophy shifts and you feel like you need to take a running back. So I think you're going to see this in a lot of drafts. You're going to see Najee Harris go before him. You're going to see Travis Etienne go before them. When I don't think either one of those players is on the same plane as Jamar Chase. This guy is amazing. He's a steal at 1-7. Yeah, Jamar Chase is an easy pick. Uh, nothing to say. You've got him, Boyd, and Higgins, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon. Offense is good. You need an offensive line. Uh, Jamar Chase should have a good rookie year. Chase, my fifth-ranked player in Superflex rookie draft. So, Same. He's my fourth, so even better. <laughs> Devin, you're up. Uh, I, have the, I have the next pick. Uh, yep. It's pretty easy. Kyle Pitts, uh, best tight end we've seen in a long time. I've been burned in the past by some rookie tight ends. <laughs> O.J. Howard, David Njoku. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to pick a tight end, but I might classify Kyle Pitts as a tight end. I'm, I look at him as a Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, it's like the perfect way to describe it, like a slot tight end. Always out catching passes. You're in a prolific offense with Kelvin Ridley, maybe Julio, trade rumors. Um, Matt Ryan's like 40. I don't know why they didn't pick a quarterback. But Kyle um, Pitts is great. I think he's going to be a great tight end for years to come. Um, by far the best tight end in this draft. And you insert him to almost tier one for tight ends in, in a redraft. So, yeah, Kyle Pitts, my guy. All right, yeah, Kyle Pitts, easy pick there. The only thing that scares people away is seeing the TE designation next to his name, but quite honestly, that should be propelling him up. When you have a game changer at the position like you've had all these years with Travis Kelsey dating back to Gronk and Jimmy Graham, and anyone who had these guys in fantasy knows what they, what kind of an advantage they are. Pitt, by all accounts, looks like he's going to go just as well. He's going to be the next guy to fill those shoes, so home run pick at 1-8. Yeah, I totally agree. Great pick. Uh, I think Arthur Smith is going to use him really well. Um, I'm not sure he's going to try to utilize a similar offense he did in Tennessee. He looks like he's a smarter coach that's actually going to use the talented players on his roster the way they're supposed to be used and not try to force them into uh, a specific scheme. So when he finally gets his chance to draft a guy for his scheme, his first pick is Kyle Pitts. So I think it's a, it's a home run pick, especially at tight end. Or if you get an advantage there, it means a whole hell of a lot more than getting advantage of a lot of other positions. So, great pick. Even in super flex, I would take him before at least one of these quarterbacks, maybe even two. All right, so I think this is where it really starts to get 
Pick your poison. Yeah. Who? What? It's more team-based drafting, I think, at this point. Which whether you should do that or not is uh, is a discussion in itself. But in my opinion, just looking at the board, the most talented guy left here is Jalen Waddle. But I'm not taking him. I'm taking Devontae Smith. Why do you keep doing this? <laughs> I'm taking Devontae Smith, and it might be a homer pick. But I absolutely love this kid. I think he's fantastic. I think he does everything well that a wide receiver needs to do. But what he really thrives in is what you see a lot of the stud wide receivers in the NFL thrive in, which is route running and contested catches. And not I'm not talking about jump ball catches. I'm talking about coming over the middle, catching balls in tight windows, trusting his hands and trusting his body. He's in the right spot at the right time. And I think that works tremendously well in uh, the offense that Nick Sirianni is bringing over. Now, once again, another new head coach, his first pick on offense is Devontae Smith at 10 overall after trading up to go get him. I think they have a really detailed plan for this kid. I've listened to everything they could possibly say about him before and after the draft, and they love him. I love his talent. I love his mentality. 166 pounds of of badass. I love this dude, and I think he's (laughs) going to kill it in Philly. Um, The only reason I would take Waddle ahead of him is honestly Waddle's more talented, but I don't like the situation as much in terms of a a volume standpoint. I think Waddle might get less volume. Um, then Smith will get, I think Smith is going to get peppered with targets from year one. And you're going to know what you have. At least you're going to know what you have by, by week eight or nine, I think, in Philadelphia. So that's my pick. I don't dislike the Smith pick at all. Whenever I first started digging into this rookie class and I saw Devontae, Devontae Smith, the first thing anyone's going to talk about is how small he is. And but let's, let's think about this logically for a second. What, what is the worry when you have these tiny wide receivers is the fact that you think they're going to get manhandled by some of these cornerbacks at the line. They're not going to be able to make it off. They're not going to be able to beat the press. But the best stat you can say about this guy, or really anyone in this entire class, is Devontae Smith was the best wide receiver in college football against the press last year. And that tells you everything you need to know going against SEC defenses week in, week out. And the man wins the damn Heisman. All right. So while I may not be all the way convinced and a surefire Devontae Smith is absolutely going to hit, I think he absolutely has that possibility. It's definitely in his in his range of outcomes. While he does have probably one of the highest ceilings in this class, he also has one of the lowest floors because whether or not that translates to the pros, that's the question, right? If everyone knew his college game was going to translate, he would have went off the board at the same time as Chase or maybe before him, okay? But as far as the situation, he's going to Philly. He should be the surefire one right there. you got a young quarterback in Hurts. If it pans out and the offense clicks, Demonte Smith is going to be at the at the front of that. Uh, in short, I'll say um, Devontae Smith, uh, I guess you're kind of hoping. Do you say in short, Jefferson. Devontae Smith? Or, yeah. Uh, well, he's the same height as Justin Jefferson, so he's not that short. They're both they taller than Justin Jefferson. Uh, what? 6'1", Devontae Smith 6'1". That's what I'm reading right now. I got to fact check uh, you. That's crazy. I'm hoping that uh, Devontae is your Justin Jefferson, that type of receiver, just a little skinnier. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't disagree with the pick. I would have went Waddle because to me, Waddle is super close to Jamar Chase. And I absolutely love Jalen Waddle. Um, but yeah, I understand, I understand your reasoning. There's connections there with uh, Hertz and Smith being on the same team before, just like Tua and um, Waddle being on the same team, and just like Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow being on the same team. And Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Jelly Bean and T Old Jelly Bean, Travis Etienne. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, pick fine. I just would have went Waddle, so you're sort of wrong. Devin Oholtz-Bars, I did fact-check you because I did not believe for a second that Devontae Smith was the same height as Justin Jefferson. Google has them both at 6'1". 
So that's the yeah. second time today you've blown my mind. First the Jameson crowd, Crowder only being like 22, 23 years old somehow. And now the Devontae Smith is actually 6'6". So that's nuts. All right. We're back up to me. Smith is actually taller than he is pounds. He's taller in inches than he is heavier. Oh, no, yeah. That I completely agree. All right. We're back around to me at the 110. Um, being the Devontae Smith one off the board, I was worried I was going to have to pick between a few guys, but now it's pretty obvious I go with Jalen Waddle. Waddle, I think uh, after this, there's a pretty big tier break. Uh, the fact that it's super flex is probably going to keep Mac Jones in this tier, but when you're talking about talent, Devontae's, or uh, sorry, Jalen Waddle is probably the last one in this tier, and at 110, he's a hell of a value, and I think you're going to see this in a lot of super flex leagues and where you're going to see uh, some of these reaches, I think, on a Mac Jones, where he's going in the middle of the first as opposed to the end of the first, which is where I think he belongs, where you're going to be able to get the Devontae Smiths and the Jalen Waddles down at the bottom of the first round. So we're talking about now, I'm at the 110, you're talking about a team that just missed the finals that's adding an instant contributor in Jalen Waddle. Gets the team back up with his college quarterback and no short of talent influx coming with Miami. The amount of picks that they have over the next couple of years, the amount of young talent they have already on the roster. Uh, look for year one for him to sort of fit into probably a wide receiver three role uh, behind uh, the incumbent Devonde, Devontae Parker and then Will Fuller. Will Fuller. Thank you. Will Fuller. Look for Fuller to take the top off the defense, but Waddle's going to be their underneath guy and Tua. That's sort of his MO, right? He loves checking the ball down. He loves taking those, not necessarily checking the ball down. I don't want to pigeonhole him like that, but he loves taking the high percentage completions that he's going to have out in front of him, and that's going to be Waddle's role, especially year one, and he's only going to excel out of getting better and moving yeah, further that along. Game two it had against Arizona last year? It was insane. I thought he was oh, yeah. to Montana. Yeah. Was nuts, <laughs> and then after that, it was like dink and dunk to 10 and 6 or whatever. So I, I don't want to say this for sure, but I want to say I heard last year that Fitzpatrick actually went deep less often than Tua. It, it was just met with a lot better coverage and a lot more just drops a higher or lower percentage. For whatever reason, players going downfield want to ball their ass off for Ryan Fitzmagic, and they just want to make highlight real plays every time he goes more than 20 yards downfield. But Tua was up there as far as throwing the ball downfield. I think he was uh, – just unfortunately had a lot of bad luck when it came to that time. We're going to see, though, this year. There's no excuse whenever you bring Will Fuller into the building and you draft another receiver in the top half of the draft. He's, he's got no shortage of weapons, and we're going to see what he's made of this year. Interesting angle on this Waddle pick is that when the Dolphins traded back from 3 to 12, they immediately traded back up right. to 6 yep. with a plan in mind. Mm -hmm. You have to think they thought they were either getting Jamar Chase were uh, Penny Sewell, and so at least what a lot of people were saying, and they ended up not having a chance to either one of them. So is, was Waddle their fallback guy, or was Waddle their target? All so I guess it's, it depends on how you look at that, because at the same in the same breath, you can say, if I'm thinking about it, the the top three were chalk quarterbacks. Everyone knows that. Number four, Atlanta, kind of a wild card, but they probably weren't going receiver, being that they had Ridley and Julio both on the roster. So the first place you really had a question of a receiver coming off the board was at Cincinnati where they're either going Jamar Chase or probably Penny Sewell at the time. And then that leaves them at six, meaning in my head, I'm thinking ahead of the time. That means I'm either going to get Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle, and that's who I'm trading up for. I, I don't think that they were settling. I think this is probably one of the players that they had in mind. It may have been the last guy that they had in mind or sort of their safety fallback, but I think when they traded up to six, 
they absolutely had to consider Waddle was going to be a possibility. I don't think they're going to regret it. I think it was a hell of a pick. Either way, I think it was a good pick in fantasy, and uh, it's just an interesting angle on it. What do you think about it, Devin? Uh, Jalen Waddle's a good pick. I love the Dolphins pick for it. It's like I said, he's super close to Jamar Chase in my book. Uh, they're both fantastic. For the longest time, I had Waddle ahead of Chase. season last year until like middle mid, towards the end of the year I was like ah, I'll look Jamar Chase is WR1 and then Waddle's a close WR2 uh, they're both they could both be you know talking about top five receivers the rest of their careers uh, it's a good it's a great pick for Kyle to get him where he gets him um, and the Dolphins I don't I was, I was surprised it took Waddle because I thought they were going to end up going somewhere else with, with what they had draft capital wise but Actually, I think it's going to work out well for them. Is having him and Parker and a Mike Gasecki, uh That's pretty good. Pretty good people to throw the ball to for your boy Tua. There you go. All right, Devin, you're up. Uh, my next one, Rashad Bateman. Uh, I know it's super sketchy Ooh. with uh, Lamar Jackson there, uh, but God, I just love Rashad Bateman. Uh, I know he wasn't his really his self last year, and then he just sat out after I think the second game. Um, but he was look. He looked really weird. 2019 though, if he can go back to 2019. We're talking like about a guy who would be, I think, better than Jamar Chase if he played up to his potential this past season. I think you're talking about him being WR1. His situation's sketchy uh, only because of Lamar Jackson, but I've been, I was arguing with one of our buddies, Nate, about Lamar Jackson and Rashad Bateman. In, in short, super short, uh, he doesn't like Bateman as much because of Jackson. He says Jackson can't give the ball to Hollywood Brown. I don't think Hollywood Brown's worth a damn. I don't think he's any good. And then if you look at all of the Ravens receiving core besides Mark Andrews, it's disgusting. You can't even, like an average football fan can't name anybody besides Hollywood Brown. You're giving him another outside target with Mark Andrews and a guy who could be super good. Is Lamar going to be in the meteor pocket passer traditionally? No, probably not. But I like his numbers enough. And to me, he's the next best player. With the tiers that I have, he's the highest rated tier two player I have left. So Rashad Bateman's an easy pick for me. I don't mind that pick at all. It's not who I would have gone with, but I completely understand it. Uh, for Bateman, it comes down to your philosophy like a lot of these picks have is, do you draft on talent or do you draft on situation? In an ideal world, you should be drafting on both, right? But Rashad Bateman is absolutely there when it comes to talent. For a lot of people, it was a big three wide receiver group coming in, but a lot of people also had it as a big four with Bateman being one of those four in that group, putting him in the same tier as the Smith and the Waddle and the Chase when he went to Baltimore, his his draft price plummeted. Everyone everyone knows what's going on uh, in Baltimore. Everyone knows what kind of offense they run. Everyone knows what kind of a passer Lamar Jackson is. So this is just a philosophy standpoint. Do you bet on the talent or do you bet on the situation? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to your one or two pick, Devin, where you took Fields over Lance, which I totally get. The talent is there. Same with Bateman. The talent is there. Situation, a little bit uh, unsettling, but... You look at what he did in 2019 and what he did in a COVID riddle 2020. I think it's very admirable. I think he's a great wide receiver. I think he's one of the safest wide receivers in this draft in terms of his NFL projection uh, in every team but the Ravens. That projection is, is tricky. So a lot of the talent, projection's tough. I think if they if you see another season from them where they get to the playoffs and they sputter out because somebody shuts down the run, 
Um, you could see a total philosophical change in their offensive approach. Sure. And his second year could be a lot more, uh, he could be a buy low candidate maybe at the end of year one. But if they use him the way he's supposed to be used, I think he can be a wide receiver one in football and a wide receiver one in fantasy at some point. Um, with my next pick, you made it kind of difficult on me because I thought you were going to go one of the last two guys I had left in the tier. But I'm going to go back to the uh, the bones of Superflex and try to just hit on a quarterback. I'm going to take Mac Jones and see where it leads me. Right, He's the last quarterback that's really worth a, a high draft capital in this rookie draft. So I'm going to take Mac Jones. I'm going to see if they try to force him into this run-heavy scheme that they ran last year, which I don't think they'll do. I think they'll totally change it around for him because that's what Bill Belichick and uh, Josh McDaniels have done for, for Cam Newton. I think they do the same thing for a quarterback they drafted in the first round. Um, I don't know if his ceiling is all that high. I do think he is very accurate. And as cliche as it is, he's the closest thing to Tom Brady in this draft. So I think it's easy for them to revert to their old ways and try to build an offense that way. I don't know yep. if he has the weapons to succeed yet. But, you know, when you're drafting a quarterback, he's hopefully going to be on your team for a long time and you're going to build around him. Their offensive line is still one of the best in the league, so he can benefit from that just like he benefited from it in Alabama. It's just a question of when he's going to take over, not if. And I think if you're a owner or uh, you have shares in this guy, you don't really want him to start right away. I think you want them to sputter out this year with Cam Newton, give him some time to acclimate to the speed of the game, and get him in there towards the end of the year where you can get reps and hopefully be a starter for you in Superflex in 2022. I love how episode one, we get to dive into so much philosophy about fantasy football, whether it's about Superflex or Dynasty or what. But I have to go back to it with my point on Mac Jones, and that is when you're drafting quarterbacks in Superflex, you're not drafting them the same way that you are in 1QB leagues. In 1QB leagues, there is no reason whatsoever for you to have the QB 20 on your roster, even the QB 12 really on your roster, okay? You want that high ceiling. You don't really care about the floor because in a one quarterback league, you cut bait, you move on, and you grab someone off waivers who has just as high of a ceiling. In Superflex, that's not the case. In Superflex, you love the QB 2. You love what Jimmy Garoppolo has been for the last two or three years when he's been healthy. You love what Kirk Cousins done for the last three years. You love what Matt Ryan does every other year when he's not an MVP candidate because you love the 20 points that you're raking in every single week from that low-end QB2, and I think that's what Mac Jones is destined for. I think QB12 to 18 range is probably his ceiling, but I think his floor, once he takes over, once he's established, hopefully gets some better weapons with him, is probably somewhere in that low-end QB2 range. And in, in Superflex, if I get that at 112, I'm ecstatic. Yeah, the Mac Jones pick's good. Uh, he's my last ranked Tier 2 player, 14. Um, I, I think... You're gonna you, you're gonna want to ride Cam Newton all year for the Patriots. I think you just let Cam have his one year thing and see what you do there. Win games, lose games, doesn't matter. Let Mac Jones sit for a whole year, learn from Bill, and learn from McDaniel's, um, and kind of get a grip for the NFL game. You're right. Um, yeah, I think his at his best, he's gonna be like a nice. I mean, Kirk Cousins is another good comparison because of the fancy numbers he puts up with. Uh, Kirk's just kind of a steady guy. He does have those stinkers, and I can see Mac having some stinkers, but um, Mac Jones should get you between 20 and 25 every every week going forward after his rookie year, especially when they hopefully get some weapons. 
Uh, they have, uh, you know, so many running backs, so many different running backs there that the backfield's not an issue. It's just got to find some pass catchers for the guy. I think all the tools are there. I think he's going to come with a chip on his shoulder, too, falling as far as he ended up falling. And he had that stone cold Steve Austin walk coming up to the to greet the commissioner. I think maybe he's going to have a little more, a little more something to prove. And I like quarterbacks who have stuff to prove. So I'm low on Mac Jones, but I'd like to pick a lot. You love the chip on the shoulder quarterbacks in the NFL. I do. That's why yeah, I, I love Aaron Rodgers. The most critical part of this evaluation is his name is McCorkle. That that is big facts. Yeah, when you typed that, I was like, "That's a typo." I looked it up. I was like, "It's not a." Typo. But like Devin said, the way he was walking up to the commissioner, you'd have thought Mac was short for McGregor, <laughs> Connor, with the swag. Anyway, <laughs> and on the back wall, Shotty points to the McGregor that he's got hanging up. So I'm going to recap the first round real quick because we have finished up the first 12 picks. The first two, three picks, pretty chalk, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. And then at number four, maybe the first curveball somehow is Zach Wilson. So one, two, three, four is quarterbacks off the first, off the board in the first round. We get our first pair of running backs, and just like the NFL draft, they go back-to-back. Najee Harris followed by Travis Etienne at 1-5 and 1-6. First wide receiver doesn't come off the board until Jamar Chase at 1-7. Kyle Pitts, the unicorn tight end at 1-8 followed by three receivers in a row, Devontae Smith, Jalen Weil, and Rashad Bateman at 109, 110, and 111. And then Matt Jones rounds out the first round at 112. All right, so after the first round, it's pretty clear that I'm the best drafter in the room. <laughs> but we're back to Kyle. I'm not even going to dignify that with a chuckle. I'm going to pick you. All right, so moving into the second round, I think the first round was pretty much chalk. Um the only guy that I had out ranked outside my first round that went in the first round was Rashad Bateman, and we talked about that when he was picked. I think that's just a, a fundamental difference on how much you want to play into the situation. But the one guy who made it outside the first that I do have ranked in my first is not the person I'm going to take here. And I'm going to go for a bit of a curveball here as I start out the second round, and I'm actually going to go with San Francisco running back Trey Sermon. And I know a lot of people are going to say that is sort of crazy because Javante Williams is still on the board. But... We talked a lot about situation, and I talked about it when I talked uh, about Trey Lance being my QB, too. That Shanahan offense is too good. And call it coach coach worship, call it what you will. Trey Sermon has more draft capital invested in him, even though he was, he was what, a day two, day three pick. He still has more draft capital in him than any other running back in that San Francisco offense. So, Shadi, you talked about it when you talked about ETN and what kind of loyalty are they going to have to UDFA James Robinson. It's nothing but UDFAs whenever you go to San Francisco. So I'll take the guy who actually has some draft capital in Trey Sermon, and it has nothing to do with the talent. This is a I want the situation more than anything. If you get yourself the lead back for Kyle Shanahan, you got yourself at a minimum an RB2. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, Devin. I was going to say, yeah, you did a good job of convincing me why you picked Trey Sermon. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. They have uh, Raheem Mostert. And then a bunch of other randoms that just run the ball a bunch for whatever reason. I think most was talented, but dude got hurt and missed like what eight games last year. So Trace Herman, it's a good safe pick eventually for a guy who's gonna he's gonna get lots of touches. So yeah, good pick. I like Trace Herman's landing spot. I'm not a big fan of him as a player. Um, so that's kind of where my sticky points are in this pick. And they also drafted Elijah Mitchell in the sixth round, and I think he might actually be the better running back. Than Trey Sermon, athletically he 
completely dominates Trey Sermon in, in almost every category. Um, the only thing is, is I think he's a little bit smaller. He's like 10 pounds lighter um, and two inches shorter. But when they run that wide zone thing, I mean, all it's going to take is Trey Sermon not hitting a hole or getting the edge a handful of times. And I don't think Kyle Shannon's the kind of guy that's going to lean on draft capital. He's going to say, I want the best running back in the backfield. And if that's Raheem Mostert or if that's Elijah Mitchell, then that's who's going to get the carries. So I think you have a high floor or a high ceiling, but a low floor with Trey yeah, Sermon. Absolutely. And he's also had a lot of uh, health concerns. So I'm just a little concerned about him as a player. I like the landing spot. Wouldn't have picked him here. I think the other running back that has yet to be named is clear in a way the better prospect and the better projection. The one Devin's about to take. Go ahead, Devin. Yeah, Javante Williams, my next pick. Uh, pretty awesome that he follows me where he does. Um, for you picking uh, Sermon, it just works. Uh, volume should be there for him. Him and Melvin Gordon will probably split for a little bit, like you saw with him and Philip Lindsay um, mm-hmm. last year. I just think eventually he could take over Gordon's role, but Gordon might bolster the touchdowns from him. They're pretty much the same running back. Gordon catches a lot of passes. Javante Williams catches a lot of so passes. So similar. Um, they're so similar. They are. Um, but I, I think it's a good it's a good spot for him. Uh, the only question mark is your quarterback. But I, I just think Javante Williams is a safe, great pick right here early in the second. Yeah, I love that pick. Uh, I think I think he should have gone in the first round. Uh, I think he should have gone a handful of picks before where he went. So I think it's great value. I like drafting running backs early. And I think his two-year projection is as good as the other two running backs, if not better. So I really like Javante Williams. All right, I am deciding between two wide receivers, and uh, it's tough, man. I think I'm going to go with Terrace Marshall because he's been my guy the whole time, and I love his skill set on Carolina's team. So he, he's the biggest he, – he's, he's a big target wide receiver, which is kind of hard to find in this draft, and I think that his skill set matches up well with Joe Brady's offense. Now, whatever you think about Sam Darnold, even if he's as good as uh, – Teddy Bridgewater, I think he'll be more aggressive. So I think if Terrence Marshall gets play early, I think you can look for a lot of contested catch opportunities, some red zone opportunities as a first-year wide receiver. But his second year, I think, is where he can really thrive because I think they actually have two wide receivers, if that, under contract next year. So that was a sneaky mm-hmm. need for them going into the draft, and I think that's the this is the best wide receiver they could have got at their draft spot to um, hit that need in the draft. But it's also a fantastic talent because – the size and athleticism is there. The production is there. He played it with two of the best wide receivers to come out in however long with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great pick by them in, in the real NFL, and I think it's a fantastic pick in fantasy. Uh, it might not be popular year one, and you might be looking back six months from now and be like, man, he's not really producing much. But I think his upside is huge, and I think he is the best player to take here, deciding between him and Rondell Moore. So. Yeah, you talked about the receiver situation in Carolina. Uh, so DJ Moore probably not going anywhere. He is technically at the end of his contract after 2022, but have to imagine they'll make every attempt to bring him in there. But Robbie Anderson is a free agent after this year. So it could be one of those situations where you have a one-year learning curve from Marshall, and then he takes over as the wide receiver, too, alongside Moore in 2022. I like the pick there. I think it's good value. Yeah, um, I agree. Terrence Marshall is a nice pick. Um, there's some players that really would I really would really would love to see in that Carolina offense, <laughs> Justin Fields, but um, I think it's Definitely. I think it's great. And they just picked up that fifth year option on DJ Moore. Obviously, he's not going to go anywhere. He's going to sign a base big contract. 
They might keep Robbie Anderson for another year or two after this year, but I think uh, Marshall's good there. And you make my job easier at the, what are we at, round two, pick uh, three, four? Round four, round two, pick four? Okay, so two receivers left on my board that are ranked pretty similarly. One of them I hate and I think is incredibly overvalued, and one of them I love and I think is incredibly undervalued. And I'm going to go with the one I think is undervalued, and that's Elijah Moore. We talked about him. I had it narrowed down to him and Kadarius Tony at this pick. And we'll get to Tony whenever Tony comes up. But Elijah Moore, we talked about it a little bit when we talked about uh, how he was going to be taking Jamison Crowder's job. I, I think it's just a matter of time. And if it turns out that Zach Wilson is the truth and he's a hell of a quarterback and the Jets are making every attempt possible to set him up for success, they, they go pretty much nothing but offense day one, day two. And, uh, Wilson's going to have every chance to succeed. And we talked about the the Shanahan offense. I think I've beaten it to death more or less throughout this entire show. But any wide receiver in the short range is going to get peppered with targets. You, you see what it does. It, it changes depending on who's healthy in San Francisco right now. And I think that's been the biggest leap in Devontae Adams' game under Matt LaFleur is how much he contributes in the short area. He's not just the intermediate routes or the red zone threat that he sort of was earlier in his career is – you see him with multiple 10-catch games throughout the season. And, yeah, he's a hell of a receiver, and I don't want to put Elijah Moore and say that he's the next Devontae Adams. But if you can be that right receiver who's going to get peppered with 10 targets a game or even eight targets a game in a sort of Shanahan build of an offense, you're going to have success. Yeah, um, it's a good pick. Eli, I talked about Eli more earlier with the James Carr thing, so I just fully agree. With the Shanahan offense, you have another Brandon Ayuk, maybe numberish, Debo Samuel kind of numbers, guys that are going to catch four to five passes a game, maybe get you a nice run after the catch, 100 yards, you know, it's good, especially good for a rookie year. He should have a solid rookie year. He should just improve as his role expands and route tree expands. Yeah, I like him as a player a lot. I like his fit in New York. Uh, I think he can be one of those guys that we look back in a few months and say, how is he not a first-round pick in, in rookie draft so I do like his upside a lot um, it's just a matter of if uh, Zach Wilson's the guy or not and we'll see Devin I'm up next my last tier two player we all know who this is going to be me and Brett love this guy Rondell Moore uh, he's going to be the number two target with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins Larry Fitzgerald is still there let's not knock a future Hall of Famer but he is like 728 years old and he hasn't announced if he's going to oh, hasn't announced if he's going to retire yet or not. Uh, but I think it's just a good it's a good up and coming roster uh, system. Cliff Kingsbury is a good coach. I hate Kyler Murray as a player. Only one reason he's a Cardinal fan. I use a Cardinal. I'm a Seahawks fan. But I I think it's it's too good there. The offense should be too good for him. It's kind of like not like the same club as the floor in Shanahan with um, schemes, but it's, he's like the Sean McVay, the sexy new offense head coach scheme-wise. You've got a good quarterback for the system. You have a all-pro receiver on one end. You have a nice Rondell Moore to learn from the guy, and he's undersized, 5'9". But I think he should succeed there, whether it's this year or the next few years to come. He The future is bright for him as long as he develops. But how can Christian Kirk break out every single year if Rondell Moore is taking his WR2 snaps? That's <laughs> what I want Christian Kirk will never break out because – No, ask any amazing. fantasy analyst. Christian Kirk, this is his year, every year. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> he, hey, he was on, he was on my breakout last year. I've been in on that train every year. <laughs> Me I too. I love that guy coming out. Texas A&M. Yeah. Uh, 
That's a good pick, man. I love Ron Dunmore. I don't know if uh, Kyle hates him or not. I haven't heard him really say anything about him, but I love Ron Dunmore. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, you can shit on Cliff Kingsbury a lot with what he's done in Arizona, but I think uh, Ron Dunmore is a chess piece, and he can be very productive in that offense. Yeah, I'm, I'm more or less indifferent to Rondell Moore. I put a lot more on landing spot than I probably should when it comes to these day two, day three picks. When, when you're a day one talent, I probably won't put as much on it because depending on whether I think you're a reach or not, you're probably talented enough that the situation is not going to matter so much for your day one. But Rondell Moore, he's, he's a smaller guy. I think Devontae Smith has the uh, the market cornered in small guys, but Rondell Moore's uh, 5'7", 181. He's not exactly the biggest guy out there. Um, he's he's going to an offense that the jury's still out on on whether this Cliff Kingsbury offense is going to be great, amazing, or some or terrible, or somewhere in between at the NFL level because we've we've seen flashes of all of it. We've seen it look like a great offense for times. We've seen it look like a terrible offense for times. So, can it support a WR two? Can it, can Kyler Murray support a WR two? Lamar Jackson has the market cornered on not being able to support his receivers because he runs so much. Well, Kyler Murray's in that same ballpark. Can Kyler Murray? support two wide receivers being fantasy relevant because Nuke's not going anywhere. You know DeAndre Hopkins is going to get his. So is there going to be enough in the receiving game for Rondell Moore to be able to be fantasy relevant? I bet you Rondell Moore is going to carry the ball 30 times this year. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to get a lot of play. So my pick, it might surprise you guys a little bit, um, but I'm taking Amari Rodgers. Ooh. So I like Amari Rodgers a lot. I think he's good at a lot of things, but what he's not – is a wide receiver one, and he landed in the perfect spot to be a wide receiver two. And I think that's going to lend him to having a ton of production. As long as Aaron Rodgers is still there, I think he's in for a boatload of production. In year one, maybe even uh, a better projection in year two or three, as long as Devontae Adams sticks around. So why I picked him over Kadarius Tony, because I know that's probably a thought in a lot of people's mind, is what Mario Rodgers is, is a really good receiver. What Kadarius Tony is, is a really good athlete. He's not yet a wide receiver. He runs routes, but he runs routes. He doesn't use technique. He's all run. Well said. And, and he gets he gets by with that in college. I mean, especially in uh, playing for Florida. But I don't know if that's going to play in New York. I don't know if he's going to be able to get away with that. I mean, on those speed routes that are primarily, when I say primarily, 100% based around speed, like a quick out. Right where he's literally just he's taking one step forward and darting to the sideline, and yeah, he's probably going to be uh, productive in those areas. But can he sell a route against an NFL cornerback? I'm not sure. I think Amari Rodgers can do that. I think he can do it very well, and I think he is a great complement to Devontae Adams. And I think if you draft him here, even if you don't want to keep him on the team, he'll be a great trade chip because the number two in Green Bay, whether they're good or not, is always valuable. So that's my guy. The hype train is starting to load up. I can see it happening a year in advance because one year from now, do you know who is under contract as wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers? It's the guy you just claimed in this draft, Amari Rodgers. Every single other wide receiver is restricted or otherwise free agent for the Green Bay Packers. So what you said absolutely rings true. He's not a number one. Everyone knows that. But I think he has a Debo Samuel-type ceiling. Whether you want that as your number one receiver and eh, probably not. You probably want someone in there to spell him. But the way I see Rodgers working in Green Bay is going to be very similar to the Tyler Irving role that we've seen 
uh, a little bit last year, but a lot more primarily back in 2019. He was a very big part of the offense as far as his motions and uh, the amount of carries he'd get out of the backfield. Very Randall Cobb-esque, even though Randall Cobb got to spend his whole career with Mike McCarthy, who everyone knows is Mr. Innovative, right? He's Mr. Progressive, all the motion and everything. That, that was Mike McCarthy's MO, right? No, but Randall Cobb was still able to be productive, even though he fits much more the mold of a uh, coach who will get him in motion, who will get him open in short space. That's the kind of touches I think we're going to see from Amari Rodgers. I think you're right that he's definitely not a WR1 in fantasy or in real life, but sell him to someone next year when they see his name is the only one under contract. His his uh, his value is going to double over the next calendar year, I guarantee it. Yeah. Gosh dang it. And y'all are going to make me. I told you three picks ago who I was debating, and now you're going to make me talk about Kadarius Tony, and I really don't want to. But <laughs> now we're at 2 7, and I, I can't let him slide any further. And my gosh. we So we took Rashad Bateman at the tail end of the first round. De Devin did it 1 11 because we wanted to ignore situation and bet on the talent. And if you are a Kadarius Tony believer, then you can bet on the talent here. His situation's not good. I'm sorry. We talked about it at the top of the show. I don't think Daniel Jones is it. He turns the ball over as much as he does anything else with it. Tony is unique in his skill set, but I don't think there's any one thing he does that someone else on that New York Giants roster doesn't already do better. If we're talking about someone in short space, I'm absolutely taking Saquon Barkley. If I'm talking about someone in the red zone, I'm absolutely going to Kenny Galladay. you got two tight ends and two other wide receivers who can catch the ball in the middle of the field. So if we're relying on Jason Garrett to be creative, I think we're, we're placing a losing bet here. A lot of other offensive coordinators or head coaches, I could see, okay, maybe they're going to work out something, but if it's anything other than clapping or leaving yourself hanging, trying to high-five your players, I just do not rely on Jason Garrett to get the best out of his players. But I got to take him because he's the best talent left on the board. Yeah, best talent left, possibly good situation, possibly WR3, WR4 with Slayton there. Uh, if he's healthy, I like Slayton a lot. But, yeah, it pretty much hit the nail on the head. He's the best player available. It's kind of a risk. Kind of forget that almost dart throw territory with some of these guys now. Mm -hmm. But that's a good dirt throw. I'm I'm pretty skeptical of Kadarius Tony, the player, and I'm also skeptical of how they're going to use him because I think they wanted Devonte Smith, and when the Eagles jumped them, mm -hmm. they panicked and took Kadarius. 100%. Yep. Um, I don't know if they really have a plan for him, and he's the kind of player you have to have a plan for, just like Rondell Moore. Um, he's not going to do everything that you want a wide receiver to do. He's just not physically capable of doing it yet. So unless you have the best wide receiver coach in the league that's going to coach him up and get him where he needs to be, he's a role player. And that role better be available and it better be defined. Hey, before we move on, someone has to say something nice about Kadarius Tony because I feel like we just spent the last five minutes talking about how much we hate him. I'm going to say he's, I can continue he's, to. he's unique. Uh-huh. He's unique. <laughs> He's unique. Beat that, nerds. <laughs> oh, shit. All that being said, Kadarius Tony is a fantastic athlete. And if hey. used correctly, he's very explosive. <laughs> he won't be, but yeah. There's a reason why he got drafted in the first round, right? I mean, no matter what, I think he was getting drafted in the first round. I don't think people were expecting him to go at 11, but he went. 20. He was going to go in the first round. 20. They traded down. Oh, yeah, they traded down 20. 
I don't think there was a doubt he was going to go in the first round. Mm-hmm. It was just you were hoping that he landed somewhere that could utilize his athleticism better than Jason Garrett. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. It pretty much sums that kid up. Uh, my pick's going to be the only homer pick of the draft. He's the second-to-last tier pick, uh, tier three guy I have. And it's Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, Seattle's going to have one of the fastest receiving cores in the NFL. That's definitely Tyler's true. a sub 4-4. Uh, he's a two. He was a two-way guy. Played receiver and and uh, was a wow receiver and kick returner. Uh, I think he's going to kind of slide on that rocket role. Rockets rookie year, second year, third year. He's returning kicks and playing receiver. I think he's going to be that guy. A lot of people I've been tweeting about it all goddamn day. Hate this draft pick. I don't know if I know what's on the Seattle Seahawks roster, but our WR three is fucking Freddie Swain right now. There you go. Five nine guy. Who I do like, Freddie Swain. But our need at receiver for WR3 is pretty high. Josh Gordon never panned out because this dude can't stay off the weed. Mm-hmm. And Stephen A. Smith always says, I think Estridge is a great pick for Seattle, and I think he's a nice pick for Dynasty. It's kind of weird because we just extended Lockett, and you have BK who's on that rookie contract. So what's his numbers going to look like? In reality, WR3 is in Seattle going to get you 40 to maybe 50 balls. Five to seven hundred yards, maybe six touchdowns though. And if so, if your league has return yards in, which some, some leagues do, mm-hmm. this guy will get you a few kick return yards, a few hundred kick return yards next year. Let, um, let me ask I, you this real quick, Devin. So it, you know who the one and two are are in Seattle, but when they're in eleven personnel and they're running three receivers out there, you know who's not moving to the slot. You know DK staying outside, but is it going to be Eskridge or is it going to be Lockett in the slot? Lockett is a great slot receiver, but with us drafting Eskridge, unless you're throwing a tight end out there and then you have Lockett in the slot, to me, you got to put Eskridge in the slot because Lockett's okay. our best, still our best pure route runner. So his, his slot number should be there. It may not be the first few weeks because we kind of bring on some people kind of slow, but uh, I, I just think it's a good pick. Oh, okay. Uh, not too much to add on Eskridge. I talked about at the top of the show his age is a little bit of a concern. Because uh, he's already one of the older wide receivers. And this was the first pick, right, that Seattle had in the draft because of the Jamal Adams trade. So this is clearly someone they were aiming for. I think there's a plan in mind. We have seen the wide receiver three in Seattle have some success, although maybe not consistently. We've definitely seen on any given week that wide receiver for Seattle could be catching a couple touchdown passes. And we've seen it with a multitude of guys. It's sort of been a revolving door at that wide, wide, uh, wide receiver three position. Eskridge may be the one to come in here and finalize it out because now, like you said, you've got your top two receivers under contract for the next several years. This receiver room isn't going to be changing much in the next few years. If Eskridge can get comfortable with it and he can sort of stake out his spot as that wide receiver three, whether it's the slot guy or whether it's outside, there is upside there for a guy who could at least be a bi-week fill-in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's interesting. I mean, he's older, um, got a lot of hype towards the end of the draft process. Seattle took him with their first pick, and they went Trey Brown, love that kid, and they went Stone Forsyth, love that kid. I think they had <laughs> the three picks. They had the best three pick draft I've seen in a while. You, you saw the picture but, uh, of Stone Forsyth dressing up as the yeah, Rock, right? As the rock. That has yeah, to be out like there. It. Everyone needs to Google that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do like what they what they did in the draft. I'm concerned about his fit there, but hey, they drafted him early. Have a plan for him. This late in the draft, it's not a bad pick. My pick is going to be Michael Carter. So Michael Carter, a lot of people don't think about him much, but he had production on the same level 
as Javante Williams in North Carolina, and they were kind of feeding off each other. And uh, I think he's underrated talent-wise. His athleticism came in a little bit shy of what we were looking for for somebody his size. But that being said, his production's there. Um, he went to an opportunity-based situation where their running back depth chart is abysmal. And mm-hmm. if he shows anything, he could get the lion's share of the work there in New York. Um, I don't know if he has a favorable two, three-year projection, but this could just be a value play. I mean, you're drafting a running back who's getting opportunity. He might be the Miles Gaskin of this year where he gets that opportunity. He looks really good, but expect them to draft a a running back in the next year's draft because I don't think he's a long-term solution to the running back woes. So he might just be a one-year Play him when you can, sell him when you can, and get the value out of this 2-8 pick because I don't think he's the guy long-term. Good guy for year one. Good guy to get some value out of. Tell me why I already see one of two guys, either Todd Gurley or Adrian Peterson, dressing up in jet green next year. It just seems like too easy of a landing spot, right? But yeah, I mean, I don't know if Joe Douglas is that kind of guy to just – I think he'd rather fill it with undrafted free agents and just see what he can get out of them. Um, he's not that kind of guy who's like, yeah, hey, we'll just bring in the vet, you know? And I, I saw yeah. him in Philly for years, and Joe Douglas was never that kind of guy. But we'll, we'll see, see, maybe. I mean, they got to throw out the roster somehow. You're, you're definitely right about the opportunity, though, when it comes to Michael Carter. But is he I, – I just don't see him racking up 200, 250 touches over the course of the season. And when it comes to next season, like you said, what are the chances that we – don't see a rookie or some sort of free agent coming to New York in order to fill it, especially if they have success this year and they find, hey, running back's sort of that missing piece. Are we really going to depend on Michael Carter to to be the lead of our running game? Uh, Probably not. Where we're at in the draft, I don't think it's a bad pick for value because he's going to get touches, and, I mean, he probably does have a a low-end or running back two, maybe a high-end running back three sort of ceiling where if he does end up taking early downs work or getting 200 touches, that, yeah, you're glad you have him. And we talked about it sort of with Eskridge where we like it as sort of a bi-week fill-in or a start-in-a-pinch type player. But we'll have to see how it goes. Capitalize on the hype. If he gets some coming into the year, he gets some, you know, a week two or three, get rid of him for the most you can because mm-hmm. running backs are hard to find. They usually go for a pretty penny on the trade market. Absolutely. Yep. And that brings me to my final pick at the 210. I'm going to take Nico Collins out to Houston, which, by the way, they did not have a lot to work with. The recent track record of the last couple of months for Houston has been pretty abysmal. You do not want to be a Texans fan right now, and I'm sorry if any of our listeners are. It's just not a fan base that you can feel very confident in right now. But I am a big fan of how they handled their draft. They drafted a developmental quarterback on day two, and then they got Nico Collins here, who I think has at the very least a potential to be a WR2 in in a team that's probably going to be trailing in at least 15, 16 of the 17 games they're going to be playing. And we saw multiple guys in that offense become fantasy relevant. Kiki Kuti, remember that name from three years ago, four years ago of hype? And he was fantasy relevant for a little bit down the stretch. Uh, I forget the name of the other guy who uh, down the stretch turned into a fantasy darling. He actually turned out playable for a few weeks. But if uh, Nico Collins somehow finds himself next to Brandon Cooks in two wide receiver sets, he absolutely has the upside that if just because he's on the field, because of the sheer volume that has to go somewhere, albeit it may be from a Tyrod Taylor, which is not appetizing, 
he has a position, or he's in a position rather, that he may see enough volume to make himself fantasy relevant. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he suffered from the Harbaugh syndrome, and Chad Hansen, right? Is that his name? What? Chad Hansen. Sorry, I'm trying to think of the other wide receiver from Houston. Chad Hansen, right? Yeah, I think so. Number yeah. one, waiver target priority after the uh, suspension. He's very athletic. He's a big wide receiver. Like I said, with uh, Terrace Marshall, it's kind of hard to find in this year's class. So the upside's there. I mean, who's throwing the ball? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe yep. Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Deshaun Watson's probably the third most likely quarterback to be throwing him the ball, as weird as that sounds. I know, right? It's, it's either going to be Tyrod Taylor or Davis Mills, most likely. Yeah, yeah probably. Seven, who got? My last pick, uh, another kind of a weird dart throw here. I actually don't think it's weird. I think his first name is Daimi. 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 Wow. North Carolina wide receiver, 6'1". Uh, this guy ends up on the Washington football team with uh, Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas. Kind of an exciting receiving core. And you know who's throwing the ball? Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know this guy does excellent in college? Deep ball. Uh, no. This guy, I think I'm reading this correctly, caught eight touchdowns of four-year-plus more yards in since 2019 at North Carolina. 55 catches, 1,100 yards, uh, 10 touchdowns. He's a deep ball guy. He's a, you got a, you got a great route runner and uh, McLaurin, a right. great overall yeah. receiver. You got Logan Thomas. This guy's going to take off uh, take off the top of your defense on a random Ryan Fitzpatrick dart uh, every other week. <laughs> so this guy might get you three yard, three catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns one week, and maybe he might get you zero. Because hey, he's kind of a, just a deep ball specialist. That's what you want you on the fill-in, though, right? You're shooting for that ceiling when you have that buy replacement, which, by the way, we're talking about the end of the second round. Anyone coming in here, they better not be a staple in your fantasy lineup unless you plan on picking 101 next year. So the guys we're talking at at this spot, these are the guys that, hey, maybe I have to put them in in a pinch and – you got to take that ceiling whenever you make that call. Exactly. Uh, this guy is not going to wow you with anything he does as a receiver. Just right now, he's pretty basic. But as a deep threat, like think think Deshaun Jackson in his prime, where this guy's lighting it up on the deep end every other fucking week. He's got 140 yards and three touchdowns, three catches and two touchdowns. All right, I will hold you to like that. that. If Diami Brown does not have 140 fucking yards every other week in his rookie year, <laughs> I will come back and <laughs> let you know. His rookie year, just think of a player like that. That's the kind of guy you're kind of getting week, year one, year two, year three. That's my pick, my last pick. I like Diami Brown. I think he went to a great spot for him to fill a role. He's not going to be asked to do too much in year one. Um, they had Deshaun Jackson for a few years in Washington, and they definitely reaped the rewards of having a deep threat. Um, and I think it opened up a lot for guys that were there underneath him. Um, and now they finally seem to have a full wide receiver core put together. So he's not going to be asked to do too much, but he's, he might have some explosive games in year one. And uh, that's enough hype for me to take him at the end of the second round. You sure. you remember who was with Deshaun Jackson back in those days on the Washington? Well, they weren't the football team at the time, but on Washington, do you Pierre remember Garçon. who was the number two? Pierre Garçon. After Pierre Garçon. Mm, 
Jameson Crowder. Jameson Crowder. And, and how long ago does that seem? Sorry, that's the theme of this show is we got to make peace with the fact that Jameson Crowder is not 87 years old. <laughs> no kidding. He's been around right. forever. With my last pick, I decided between like three different guys here, so I'm just going to go with the coolest name, Amon Ross St. Brown. That's the way to go. Win in doubt. St. Brown. So he got drafted, what, the third round, I believe? Flashback 12 months from now, or 12 months before now. Fourth round, fourth round. That is possibly a, a uh, first round wide receiver in this class. Um, coming into 2020, had a lot of hype. 2020 was not a great year for him. He looked to kind of regress, actually, uh, which is not what you want to see from a guy you're about to draft. But he's coming into a situation where there's not many other people to throw the ball to. So I think he might be a high-volume receiver in year one. And when I say high-volume, I don't mean like, you know, 120 targets or anything like that, but a high-volume for a run-first offense. Um, a guy that could be used in a multitude of different ways. He's a, he's a fairly complete wide receiver. He's good at a lot of things. He's not great at any one thing. And uh, in Detroit, I don't know if you're going to get a uh, wide receiver one or wide receiver two, but I think he could be a bi-week film. I think he could be a wide receiver three in year one, possibly a wide receiver four. But his second-year projection, if they get a better quarterback, which I think they'll try to do with the extra draft capital, um, he might be a guy that will get some uh, some hype going into year two. Um, I think the theme of my draft in general has been take the guys that you may not get a ton of value from right now, but you're going to have increasing value as they age and get into year two or year three. So Alan Ross St. Brown on, has dude. a little bit of upside. I think he's worth the last pick in the second round. So – the Detroit Lions depth chart, like you've talked about, is pretty barren. The guys that were already the incumbents, which aren't really incumbents because they just got here in March, but Tyrod Williams, Rashad Perriman, those are the two uh, for sure starters. And they're most likely profiling as outside guys. So if Amon Ross St. Brown is anything like family member Equinemius, he's most likely going to find his niche. He's going to find his way onto the field in the slot. Now, the offensive coordinator for Detroit as most of us know, is Anthony Lynn coming from uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And still weird not to call them the San Diego Chargers two years later. But Anthony Lynn had one very high-profile receiver in his tenure in Los Angeles and San Diego, Keenan Allen, who, by the way, is one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. So if Anthony Lynn brings over that mentality of utilizing the slot in the same offense that utilizes the slot, and utilizes the running backs, so utilizes the tight ends, all those short areas of the field, Amon Ross St. Brown may very well be the benefactor. The problem is, like you said, he's a day three pick. He doesn't have the highest draft profile or the highest prospect profile that we've ever seen or anything like that, okay? If he finds himself in the right situation, which Detroit may very well be, and he excels, he may be able to extend this role moving forward because, like you said, Pretty barren depth chart. I'm not really that worried about Tyrell Williams or Brashad Perriman stealing snaps away from St. Brown. Yep, so that'll do it for our mock. But do you guys have anybody you want to throw out there, maybe like round three, four guys that you really like or somebody that has some upside we haven't spoke about yet? Uh, just to go quickly because we've named pretty much everyone, I think, with fantasy value. Anyone after this point is most likely going to be dart throws. But just going through my list, uh, starting at tight end, and Devin, you want to talk about your pronunciation? Tight end Pat Freiermuth, I believe, uh, is how you say that. Freiermuth. Yeah. So everyone wants to say he's the next generation of Heath Miller and everything like that, and it, it makes sense because that was his comp, even going into the draft, and then he goes to Pittsburgh, and 
he, he, I think, is pretty much the unanimous tight end, too, on everyone's board. I don't think anyone else has uh, anything else after Pitts. But the thing is, he's much more a conventional guy. He's a hand-in-the-dirt type guy, maybe even an H-back. He's going to be a lot more value to the Pittsburgh Steelers than he is for fantasy. But he is someone on my list. Um, other than that, I also have Kenny Gainwell in Philadelphia. But we also, we uh, we talked about it in Denver, how, how many similarities there are between Williams and uh, Melvin Gordon, but there's a lot of similarities between Gainwell and the incumbent in Philadelphia and Miles Sanders. So it'll be curious to see in what way Philadelphia decides to utilize them. Kyle, i got to tell you a secret. Go ahead. Miles Sanders can't catch. Do you think that's how he's going to be profiled? Do you think they have Gainwell as the third down back? Because I – yes. Sanders was not profiled as just an early down runner coming out of college. That's something that just seemed to happen in Philly, which, I mean, he started his career and he had one of the best pass catching running backs of all time in there with the backfield with him. But I didn't think Sanders was a bad pass catcher coming out of college. Let me hit this quick. I could say I could speak on this like 20 minutes, but sure, sure. Miles Sanders has been spelled by the likes of Darren Sproles, Boston Scott, and they as a pass catcher. So whether it be nurture or nature, uh -huh. he's not a pass catcher in this offense. So I think Boston Scott is a guy they're not paying a ton of money to. They don't want to pay a ton of money to, so they bring in Kenny Gainwell to take that spot over. Mm -hmm. And he becomes the new Boston Scott plus. You know, I think he can run better. I think he's as good of a pass catcher. I think he's got a much better profile. I would have liked to see Gainwell land elsewhere, but I think it hurts Miles Sanders more than people are giving it credit for. So Miles Sanders, one more year left on his deal. If you're a Miles Sanders fantasy owner, are you going out of your way to try to grab Kenny Gainwell? Yes, for sure. If I still had him, I would have, but I traded him. Okay. <laughs> you got Devin. Who's, who's your later round? Uh, uh, with? Quick two dart throws. I'll touch on both of them really fast. Uh, Kellen Mond. Third round pick from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I only picked one uh, quarterback in this draft. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, Kellen Mond is a and M quarterback. Kirk Cousins has been what he's been his whole career, but third round picks can make a lot of money. Russell Wilson, third round pick. Kirk Cousins, third round pick, made so much money on the football team. Uh, maybe Mond is a guy where they just maybe give him the reins after Cousins deals up. You have Justin Jefferson there. I know Thielen's thirty. But you have a possible elite receiver. I don't know if Irv Smith's ever going to be anything. You have a great running back in Delvin Cook. Kellen Mond might be a decent dart throw for you, like your Jacob Eason's of the world from last year. And my last one is Tutu Atwell. Uh, I only yeah. say it because of the situation he's going to. Sean McVay, L.A. Rams. Sure, the guy is literally weighs as much as like a stick bug and might get crushed in the stick NFL. Bug? But uh, I like I like the guy as a player. I, I I like that he's really trying to put on body. He wants to prove to the NFL, you know, that I can make it out here. But I think he's a nice dart throw, uh, late round dart throw. Why not stash Tutu Atwell on your taxi squad or throw him down way down on the bench and just see what kind of happens with him? Do you want to hear something disgusting? Yes. Do you know what Kirk Cousins' salary cap hit is in 2022? Oh, I bet it's like 20, 45 million. Golly, that's disgusting, but obviously he signed the famous, or at this point for Vikings fans, probably infamous contract where the entire thing is fully guaranteed, so yeah. they're not moving on 
to Davis or sorry to uh, Kellen Mond anytime soon. Cousins is finishing out that contract, but he's going to get out of that in 2022, and he's going to be 34, going on 35 years old. So I can't imagine he's getting much interest to return, and Mond may be the heir apparent after a couple of years behind him. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean taking taking shots on late round quarterbacks is not a bad idea in Superflex. Uh, every one of them, but Ian Book, do not draft Ian Book. You don't, you don't think so? You don't think sitting behind Jameis Winston? <laughs> I'm joking, but legit, like his farthest throw ever is 55 yards, which sounds like a lot, but in comparison to other quarterbacks, no, it, it's not a lot. <laughs> if you watch it, it's like he's trying to put the thing into the sun. He's like throw hopping, everything he's got. 55 I picture the Foo Fighters in the background and some really heroic music. But uh, my my uh, last two guys I'll mention. Anthony Schwartz got drafted by Cleveland. He's similar to Kadarius Tony, where he's more of an athlete than he is a wide receiver, but fastest guy in the draft. Um, he might be worth a dart throw, uh, take the top off the defense kind of player. We don't know exactly what they're going to do with the wide receivers in the future, so he might be around for a little while in Cleveland. I would take a shot on him. Elijah Mitchell, like I said, I like Trey Sermon, but Elijah Mitchell got drafted there as well, and I think he profiles more. Uh, typically to their style of running back. So look for him to get some work if Trey Sermon is injured or doesn't pan out. Sorry, I know I had my shot and I named my couple guys, but I do want to throw uh, Davis Mills out there just because he is a guy. He didn't go until the end of day two. It was the first pick, though, for Houston. It's, it's funny. They kept showing the graphics on NFL Network and ESPN of all the teams that were missing day one or missing day two picks. And you saw the Kansas Cities up there. You saw the Seattles up there. You saw these playoff teams, these contenders up there. And then Houston's up there with every other team. And it's just a, one of these things is not like the other scenario, which where did all their picks go? But Davis Mills, the first pick that they used, and obviously that quarterback situation and a bit of limbo, and that situation may not be, be resolved anytime soon. Um, if Deshaun Watson, who has already claimed in spite of, Totally forgetting all the legal stuff that's going on, but Deshaun Watson said he's never throwing a pass for the Houston Texans again. And if that's the case, all Davis Mills has to do is beat out Tyrod Taylor, which Justin Herbert showed is the easiest thing in the world to do. You just got to pay the trainer enough money, and next thing you know, you're suiting up on Sunday. So Davis Mills, <laughs> we're talking about super flex, definitely worth worth a dart throw in the middle rounds. Yeah, uh, JV and Hawkins too for Atlanta. Uh, okay, I'm not even sure if he got drafted or if he's just under the free agent, but. The openings there for somebody to, to grab hold of, and he has a fairly good profile. Along with my last guy, I swear this will be the last guy I bring up, Hunter Long, tight end for Miami. I like Mike Kosecki, but his lack of uh, inline capability might lend them to want to put Hunter Long on the field more often. Um, so he might be one of those really late round or pick up after the draft tight ends um, that you can grab, and you know maybe he'll have a role on a really good team in Miami. There we go. We did it, boys. Episode one in the books. We did it. Uh, in the books, I mean, on Kyle's computer, and it's going to take about four years to edit this shit show. So <laughs> By the time all this comes out, most of these guys will be seasoned veterans and will have been proved wrong on most of them. No, I'm yeah. sure if you, like, send this to a college and then edit it one after that, they'll give you, like, an associate's degree or something. <laughs> Yay.
<laughs> Boys, good work. It was fun. It's been real, homies. Looking forward to next week. How come we haven't done this? Well, I'm a, I'm a worrier. Yeah. If we aren't sure. completely ready, I'm going to worry about it until we are. I'm going to keep delaying it until I feel comfortable. Yeah, me and Brett say fuck it and record it. Who cares? <laughs> Episode one in the books. Now I'll go all do all the work and you guys go to sleep. No, nah, I'm not going to bed yet. I got to do a Zoom meeting with my head coach, at Craig. So, well, coach's meeting. 4.30 in the morning, so. Uh, all right, have fun. <laughs> yeah, we all got stuff going on. All right, Shotty. All right. I had fun. I hope you guys had fun. This was episode one of the Fantasy Flesh. Fucking bars. Listen to this guy. I had fun. Hope you had fun. Episode one. What up, son? (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I'm going to sign off. Boys, say goodnight to the people. Uh, Good night. Later, Uh, homies. Follow me on Twitter, and we have our own social medias, dspawn 3 d 8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I tweet about music and depressing stuff and memes and football. <laughs> Hit me up at FF Master Debater. I don't tweet. I just stalk, but I will call you out if you say some bullshit. <laughs> I don't do the Twitters, so oh my follow God. you guys, and I'll tell you everything I have to say. Everything cool that Devin and I said, you wrecked it. Yeah, it is. Really See ya. Later, y'all.